Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in John 17, starting with verse 13. And the last time the message was titled, Prayer Amidst Trials. And because it's part two, I'm not going to go over in depth what we talked about last Sunday. You can get that for free on the website. But there's a lot of good information in there. We talked about the elements of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We talked about um, the parable of the widow and the judge, persistent prayer. We talked about emergency prayers, right? You're on hiking and you somehow find yourself on the hiking path between a mama bear and the baby. That's the time to start praying quickly and then move. <laughs> so we talked about intercessory prayer where we, we you know, intercede for other people. Uh, we talked about prayers for healing. So, so we just really covered a lot. You definitely get it if you didn't get it. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to do part two today. We're going to see it in two parts, actually. But there's something very important to understand because sometimes people get confused about the deity of Christ. Um, you know, Jesus, he pretty much it was it was a positional thing when Jesus was on the earth, right? Uh, in all of eternity, uh, the Son and the Father interacted a certain way, God the Son and God the Father. And, um, you know, when he came to the earth, so out of like quadrillions or quintillions of years, who knows how long eternity is, uh, when Jesus was on the earth, positionally, he was God the Son. He was in human flesh. And he did things that some people, if they don't read the Bible properly or don't really study it, would just think he was just a man. Remember, he existed before he was the babe in the manger. So positionally, he did certain things that he actually modeled for us. So when Jesus prayed, uh, it was something that we would really reflect, Right? Uh, and Jesus is God the Son to God the Father. He's praying not because God the Father was superior to him, but there was a little bit, an interesting thing about separation when Christ came to the earth, right? When he was ascended into heaven, he was back at the right hand of the Father. But when we read the scripture, we can get confused a little bit, but understand this was, a, this was temporary. Uh, as we've been through Revelation, we see how powerful Jesus is. So we don't see him in the same position as we saw him when he was on the earth. So understand that. Positional, right? He models things for us, especially prayer. He taught us. Because the religious system became so corrupt, people didn't even know how to pray anymore. So he had to kind of start all over again, right? He modeled it. We reflect it. So we're going to check that out. Jumping in, in verse 13. Jesus says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Remember, this is God, the son to God, the father and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. So one attitude is Christ prays for his disciples. Now I'm not going to go through everything in the first part, but I want to, verse 13 is kind of that, um, that anchoring or that mooring point between 
1 to 12 and 14 to 21. So he kind of leaves here. This right in the center in verse 13 is joy. Folks, the world, listen, all you got to do is watch the news, watch opinion shows, watch whatever. Uh, and you find that the world brings, it brings sadness, it brings depression, and uh, it brings misery sometimes. And especially we see this in 2020. But God wants to provide us with joy. Now, if you turn with me to Hebrews 12, verse 2, Hebrews 12, verse 2, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus went to the cross, wasn't obviously particularly something that was enjoyable, even for the Son of God, but the joy that was set before him was he knew what the end goal looked like. You know, Jesus knew that he wanted to bring all of humanity to fellowship back with God, and he was the one that would provide that. He was that vehicle. However, between that idea and it being fulfilled was this obstacle, and it was the cross. Loathsome, brutal, unfair, certainly for God who didn't sin, uh, to take on the sin of the world, but for the joy that was set before him. Folks, you are part of that joy that was set before him. If you're watching on the live stream, you're part of the joy that was set before him. He went through a lot to give us salvation, to bridge that gap, that relationship between us, sinful human flesh, and a holy and righteous God. You know, Jesus taught us, too, that we can have joy in the midst of our circumstances. So whatever we're going through, remember Jesus and his goal and his mission, he could have allowed life circumstances to stop him. You know, and when we're tempted to allow life circumstances to stop us, think about that scripture in Hebrews 12 too. It's very powerful. 14 through 19. Now, this is where, okay, if you're new to the scripture or you're a new believer, this is where things get really deep in John's gospel. Um, as a pastor, you know, I talk to other Christians and there's this idea out there that if somebody's brand new to the scripture, send them right to the gospel of John. The gospel of John is awesome, but it's extremely deep. And I, my personal opinion is for somebody who's seeking that they would start with Matthew, Mark, and Luke before they get to John. John is just so deep that I, I prefer they get a foundation in the other Gospels, then move to John. That's just my personal opinion. It's okay. If you started in John and things are great, praise God. Pray, ask the Lord to open your eyes. But let's look at what this really says, what I just read. Basically, we as believers, we're to be taken out of the world spiritually, but obviously we're still here. We're to stay in the world physically. When we're in the world physically, we're to be sanctified by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. To pull others out of the world spiritually, even though they're still in the world physically. And then the process starts all over again. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So we're, we're kind of taken out of the world, not physically. And we're going to talk about that. For God to do a work in us and then to send us back to affect other people and pull them out spiritually. It goes back to what I said last Sunday with sets and subsets. Grade school mathematics, right? The set of the world system. 
by nature of human beings being born into this sinful system, we have, we're affected negatively by it. That's why we're supposed to be born again fit, uh, spiritually, excuse me, because anyone who's listening to me has been born physically. But Jesus said you have to be born again, and that's spiritually, right? We have to come out of the set, this large set that's in the world, anyone who's ever lived in this sinful, fallen creation, right? Not because of God's doing. The subset is those of us that are pulled, because some people stay in the world system until they die, which is tragic. But there's many, and we don't know how many, I don't know the numbers, just I'm, I'm kind of a, a numbers guy. Uh, when I get to heaven, I probably have a lot of questions, and God may say to me that's not important. <laughs> but the subset is for those that have come out of the world, right? Physic- uh, spiritually, but not physically. So we're still here, but our outlook changes. Our spirit changes, but also it has an effect on our mind, our will, our intellect, our emotions. That starts to change too as we start getting closer and closer to God. Now, if we misread this, and there are groups that do, what happens is we end up becoming or living in seclusion, in little separatist groups, which is a problem. Again, that's only by misreading the scripture. So you see many groups that do this. Instead of evangelizing, instead of being the salt of the earth, they're kind of in a little corner somewhere. And they're not being salt, right? I've, I've, I've gone to Lancaster. I've studied the Amish. I've talked to them. I've gone on tours. And for the life of me, I can't understand why they don't want to share the good news with people outside of their group. Um, monks do the same thing. A lot of cults do the same thing. And that's only by misreading the scripture. And even some Christians, you know, use an excuse to really not be bothered with serving the Lord or serve the Lord only when it's convenient. So they're almost in a state of seclusion too. They have, you know, and again, if you're a new believer, believe me, when I was a new believer and I was, I loved the church, I loved the Calvary Chapel. And when the pastor talked about sharing your faith, it rubbed me the wrong way. I'm just being honest with you. Look at me now, right? It took me a while to get it. And when you start to understand to love people, then you understand why at least being an example, sharing your faith is important. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify or to set, up, set us apart from the, the corrupting influence of the world. And this is probably one of the hardest things in the Christian walk. To kind of be here but not be corrupted by the world, by the influences. And there's a great metaphor of a boat. The Christian is like the boat, right? And its whole life or its whole lifespan, the boat is on the seas and it does whatever. So the Christian is the boat. The world is the water. It's the ocean. But the hull and the exterior of the boat is watertight. And that watertightness spiritually comes from the Holy Spirit and God's word. It's supposed to keep the water out. So God's word and the Holy Spirit are main players and main forces in us not taking on water. Here's where it becomes tragic as Christians, as the boat, is that when the water starts to get in the boat. Now, if any of you have been boating or you have a boat, you understand that the water needs to stay on the outside and not on the inside, 
right? Um, if it starts to accumulate on the inside, you have a big problem. So as the Christian, as the boat, you know, we are in the water, but we're not supposed to be taking on the water of the world because it, it defeats the whole purpose. Pretty neat stuff. Verse 18, he says, Jesus says, God, the son to God, the father, if you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Remember, is God, the father sent God, the son physically into the world to save the world spiritually. Jesus metaphorically sends the disciples back into the world. Understand the world that they were pulled out of spiritually to share the gospel, to share the truth, to help pull more people out of the world spiritually. And verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus modeled the sanctification process. Remember, he models, we reflect. So Jesus doesn't do things because he's like us and he has to. Many of the things he did, he modeled for us, right? When he shared the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer, you know, adoration, praise to God, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Jesus shares this with us. He shares the part about see confession, but he doesn't have to partake in that because he's perfect. He was sinless. So there's a, a perfect example of him modeling something for us that he didn't have to partake of, right? When Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in eternity, they are in harmony, they are one. We have to understand what that means. And he speaks about the truth, that they may be sanctified by the truth. And today, we don't know what to believe anything anymore. I mean, we see things, something's true one day, it's not true the another, another day. There's a political issue. There's issues with the news. And, you know, so in this world, you know, you might be going to work and one month they say you have to do this to be safe. And then three months later, they say to do the opposite. So we're not really sure, especially this year, what the truth is. But the truth is in Scripture. We don't watch TV to get an opinion. We read the Bible to get an opinion. How should I feel about this subject? Well, what does the scripture say? You know, what does the scripture say? So when we look at this chapter and we look a lot at a lot of this book, what we find is that God, the father and God, the son speak about human beings as giving and receiving, but between the, the father and the son, almost as if we're gifts, right? And I guess that's fit, fitting for the gifts giving season and the question is, do you know that you're a gift? Now, you might have walked in here with some pressing issue and don't quite feel like you're a gift, but the Bible says that you are a gift. So it's just something that our emotions and our feelings have to be overridden by what we know to be true in the scripture. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So even God the Father gives God the Son to the world as a gift. And through God the Son, we're given the free gift of eternal life. A lot of gift giving going on in John chapter 17 and 3 and the whole uh, portion of scripture. Last few verses, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us, that the word world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, 
and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. I'll come back to that one. That's powerful. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, and the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Two out of two is Jesus prays for all believers. In John fourteen eighteen, Jesus is speaking about eventually departing, going back to heaven. But he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Not only does he not abandon us in eternity, he doesn't abandon us on the earth either. Right? We know that he left us God's word. He seals believers with the Holy Spirit. If you would turn with me to John, excuse me, Romans 8, 26 through 27. <clears throat> says, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, because even as believers, we do have weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we might not even realize that it's going on as believers, but the spirit intercedes for us, Right. Jesus says he prays for us. So that's pretty awesome. Um, second and third person of the Trinity has our back, you know, is interceding for us with respect to the Father. We might not even feel that it's going on. We might be having a really rough month. And sometimes when things are rough, like, I don't know, sometimes people have the idea, well, I just, I, I just can't pray. Even if you're just grunting or you're saying the same thing to God over and over again. It's good. It's okay. Um, what you didn't say or don't have the strength to say, the Spirit fills in the blanks, right? Jesus is there interceding for us. So that's pretty powerful. I mean, I don't know, this morning you might be overwhelmed. You might be watching on the live stream and just overwhelmed. Maybe you wanted to come to church, but emotionally you just couldn't get out of bed or off the couch, it's okay, because this speaks to the overwhelmed saint. You know, in the Psalms, one of the Psalms is labeled as the prayer of the overwhelmed saint. It happens, right? So even as Christians, things don't become perfect. We're still frail. We still struggle. And in verse 20, Jesus prayed for you and me two, almost 2,000 years before we were born. Time constrains us, but it doesn't constrain God. Jesus said, those who would believe in me through their, meaning the disciples' word. You know, the, the general public, right, um, in our culture, believes certain things. Over the millennia, they believe certain things about Christianity kind of dying out. Well, in the Roman Empire, they believed that Christianity would die out. But Jesus knew more than the Roman culture that we, it would survive for 2,000 years. So Jesus is praying for, I don't know, um, how does this work with souls? Is there a, a place where souls are stored and then over time they're put in embryos? Like, I don't know. I don't know how he does this. 
but he knew that all this would take place. Um, and he knew the purity of the word would survive two millennia. Verse 21, Jesus prays for the believers to be one with God and each other as God the Son to God the Father. So we see relationships. You know, and sometimes this is one of the bigger uh, struggles with society and even in the church. You know, you look, you turn on the TV and they're always pitting people against each other. There's division. But it's really sad when there's division in the church. And this happens for a lot of reasons. First Corinthians addressed this in a major way. You know, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for each other. And some are failing miserably in that area. You know, sometimes we, we get upset with each other as Christians over petty things. And it's not what Jesus wanted. You know, in, in John 14, when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my word. He didn't say the favorite parts, your favorite parts of my word. He said all of it. And sometimes to actually love somebody um, is, can be difficult. I'm just going to be honest with you. But nevertheless, it's still a command. Jesus said, when the church, when the world looks at the church, the world needs to see love. Because if somebody walks into a church and they don't see love, and they see factions and people that are just mean-spirited, they don't want to stay. But even subconsciously, spiritually, when somebody comes into a group and they're a group of Christians and they, you know, they love each other, it's obvious. They're attracted to that. Jesus spoke of the glory which the Father gave him. He says, I have given them. Right? Now, we, we can't... I look at this idea about glory. We're not supposed to steal God's glory, but we can emanate it, we can reflect it, we can exude it. His glory kind of bundled up into oneness, right? Moses, when he came down from the mountain after being with God for probably hours, the people saw Moses' face was kind of glowing. So there was a physical manifestation. But this glory he's speaking about is a, it's intuitive, it's spiritual, it's not necessarily anything that you can see. In verse 24, God the Son says to God the Father, you have loved me before the foundation of the world. And again, this is powerful. I mean, we can read this quickly and miss this. This speaks of the eternality of God the Son, that he existed before he was the babe in the manger, right? We read another part in John 17 about, you know, the relationship that God the Son and God the Father had before he came to the earth. So my personal opinion is that that Jesus prayed this prayer and uh, that he was alone when he did it. Or maybe there was one disciple nearby. This is a very intimate prayer between God the Son and God the Father. But for whatever reason, Jesus wanted this to be in the Gospel of John. And it survived for 2,000 years. It's pretty powerful. The world has not known you, God the Son, the God the Father. And the truth is, this is due to the fall into sin right? As a human race. We've almost become as a human race estranged from our father in heaven. And it's not the fault of him. You know, you, I, I actually knew a family that met somebody that was related to them. And they were so happy to see that person. They knew that they were related to them, but their families weren't getting along. 
So the, both families kind of kept each other kind of separate from those relatives. But it was such a, a neat encounter that the person knew that they were related and they started to catch up. So there's almost like this, there's a spiritual estrangement in the world between us and the Father. But through Christ, we get to know him again. And we make up for lost time. Pretty neat stuff. Verse 26. He says, I have declared them, declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So verse 26. Knowing God leads to love and unity. And this is something that the world is missing. Right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I think our leaders in the world, in our governments, local leaders, I think they're winging it at this point. I think that our culture has gotten so far away from God, either directly through Jesus or making decisions that are against what God would want in his word. And they're winging it. There's polls that are coming out all the time showing that the populace is losing faith or losing confidence in their leaders. And it isn't going to get better if there's not like a mass revival and people start turning back to Christ. So as we close, it's said that the world is a lost place. But the truth of the matter is, you know, as we read this, Jesus is trying to teach us something. It was personal to him. It was relational between him and the Father. But there were elements of it that we need to take with us, folks. You know, you can go to some of these ministries that unfortunately preach shallow Christianity, where prayer is just a means to get something from God. You just open up in prayer and even write down all your things that you want from him. You know, you're never-ending as if he's a celestial Santa Claus. But when you get into the scripture, you understand that it's a lot deeper than that. The closer we get to God, shallowness really kind of goes by the wayside. And what we realize is what's important to us is our closeness with the Lord. And the fact that prayer isn't getting God to do our will, but for us to be more in line with doing his will. And part of that is to be a light to the world, to be salt. So that when, even if we don't say a word, there's an expression that says, um, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Think about that. You know, sometimes we're more wordy than we are action. But we need to be both. And it, it's tall order. But I got to tell you that I think that, especially after this year, it's fertile ground. I don't think you have to go far to build a bridge with somebody. You know, my wife and I have talked to wait staff at, at diners and restaurants. They're really struggling. And, you know, we, we give out the cards for scripture and the church. And whether they listen or not, we don't know. But we're planting seed. You know, we treat them like they're human beings. We treat them that, like they're, we're, they're part of our family. This is a, a very hurting world. I don't know what 2021 holds. Hopefully it holds the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just my, my prayer. Um, but I, I don't think that it's just going to magically turn around and things are going to get better. And I'm not, I'm not singing a sad song here. I have joy too. I love my life. I love the fact that there's opportunities. Um, but, 
you know, as we, as we close and we get both messages and we really start to absorb it, it should really change us from the inside. And from the inside, it should be reflected outside. So we look at things like glory. We look at things like love. We look at things like unity. Maybe this is the year to put away childish things, things that we focused on that they just don't mean anything, petty things. You know, we're all, I'm, I can be guilty of it too. When things are going too great, you become petty about stupid stuff. And then when life really gets difficult and you see the suffering, you realize that's childish, as the Apostle Paul says, put it behind me. So I want to encourage you, and um, I know it's, it's a thing in the United States where we, towards the end of December, we look at it like, you know, we're turning a page. Although every day, just like Thanksgiving, the day of prayer, National Day of Prayer, we should be thanking God every day. You know, we should be looking up every day. We should be looking for opportunities to be used and help people every day. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. That we would be spiritually prepared when that time does come. So I just want to encourage you with that. And um, let's close in prayer. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.